Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Big and Juice. I'm Kevin. With me, as always, are Blake. Hi there. Hello, Kevin. And dialing in from Austin via the power of the internet, Radney, you there? I'm here. We have not all been in the office, or at least you know, together, at least Blake and I haven't in quite some time. So it's really nice to be back post-COVID in the office doing another episode. There's been lots of movement on the DFS and sports betting front across the country in Texas. And we're going to talk about Texas here in a sec. We had a really successful and positive FSGA conference last month. We had tons of attendees, lots of excitement around the space. So I think we could talk at ad nauseum about a number of topics related to DFS and sports betting. But what I really want to talk about today, guys, is what's going on with a couple of these Texas sports betting bills, where they are, and what's likely going to happen. Sound good to you guys? Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So there were two bills that were proposed early in the legislative session. I think they were January timeframe. One of them was House Bill 2070. And then another was House Bill 1121 were the two bills. And they were both going to legalize sports betting in Texas. But the problem with that is is you can't just pass a bill and then be ready to gamble in Texas because the Constitution prohibits it. Rad, you want to talk a little bit about what the Texas Constitution says and then how we would have to go about amending that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, the Texas Constitution, which has been around quite some time now, well over a century, has a pretty strict prohibition on gambling. And even as a young attorney, honestly, when I was working for a bigger law firm, this is something that that I worked on. Interestingly enough, you know, we were working with the the legislature and and oftentimes our clients would be, surprise, surprise, out-of-state casinos that actually didn't, that wanted to remind the Texas people that gambling was illegal in Texas under the Constitution and obviously make all these funny, like, moral arguments for it. Meanwhile, they're the ones that are benefiting from it being illegal here. So in order for you to pass a statute or a bill that goes into law as a statute in Texas that would legalize gambling, you have to go through the constitutional amendment process, which requires two-thirds of the Texas House of Representatives to vote in favor of the bill, two-thirds of the the Senate as well. And then you actually, once it's passed through the, those proper measures, it actually goes all the way to every county clerk's office throughout the whole state. And then they post on it, and there's a day when there will be voting on that constitutional amendment. And so you need the majority of Texas citizens as well to approve that. So these bills that Kevin was talking about, you know, they were in conjunction with HJR 97, which was the joint resolution that was proposed to allow for the legislature, I guess it's, quote, the legislature by law may authorize and regulate the placing of wagers and sporting events as defined by law. So kind of carving out placing of wagers and and, and sports betting from this general prohibition. So on top of having to go through the legislative process, we also have to amend the Constitution, which adds a pretty significant hurdle. Now, based on surveys that I've seen, I think a majority of Texans want sports betting. So assuming the people that are responding to these surveys are going to show up at the polls and vote, then it looks like it's something that we could amend the Constitution. But as you mentioned, Rad, there is a higher level of – it's not just a majority of our senators and representatives. We need two-thirds. So it's just going to – it's just more to do. But I think traditionally yeah. we've seen sports betting bills introduced. They also introduce a joint resolution to go ahead and knock out that amendment at the same time. Exactly. And just to, you know, the one poll that I read, Kev, was the University of Texas Tyler poll. So 57% support casino gambling. Technically right now they're saying only 43% support 
Uh, there you sports go. betting. So we're a little bit below, and then obviously the elephant, quite literally in the room, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who controls what even comes up at the Senate, is pretty clear that he opposed to the legalization of gambling in the state. So it really kind of puts a kibosh on any potential legalization of sports betting in the state until we have a new lieutenant governor or until he, he changes his mind. One thing that I thought was pretty interesting about that opposition, though, to to sports betting in Texas is that only 26% are opposed and 31% mm-hmm. are ambivalent. So, mm-hmm. you know, while it might only be 43% supporting, the strong opposition or at least, you know, individuals willing to say that they're opposed is only 26%. That's a great point, Blake. Yeah, that's a good point. What I really want to talk about today is the proposed bill and then compare it to some of the other states. Look at sports betting, you know, here's a spoiler alert, it's probably not going to happen this year. I, I think the unless they call a special session, which they may, but if they're calling that special session, it's going to be on voting rights. And I don't think they're going to wedge sports betting into that. However, I think it's important, especially for someone who might be listening, who's an operator or wants to get into this business, it's important to understand what the framework will look like in Texas and how that compares with other states. So one of the things that's interesting is House Bill 2070 was a sports betting bill that would allow both in-person kind of retail locations as well as digital, right? Let's just call it mobile sports betting. I think the bills use the term digital because for whatever reason, legislators aren't, they're stuck in you know 20 years in the past, <laughs> but mobile sports betting essentially. And you've got, you know, states who have different frameworks and some have mobile only, some have both in-person where you can go up to a betting window and do it and then mobile only. So Texas actually introduced two separate bills and in looking at the legislative history or just the process with these bills, it looks like 2070, which is the one that had the physical betting component to it, actually made a little bit more headway than 1121, which was the mobile only. And I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts. Does that mean that the legislators are more interested in kind of a total sports betting framework where we do have digital or we do have digital and in-person kiosks? Or is that just because that bill was introduced first and they knew that we weren't going to do this anyway, that it wouldn't be approved anyway? So just not a lot of attention was paid to 1121. I think one thing that is pretty important to note is that, you know, we've got to understand that PASPA was only repealed in 2018. You know, the first sports betting bill was introduced in 2019. And so because the legislature only meets every, you know, in in odd years, this was only the second, you know, kind of rush at trying to legalize sports betting in Texas this last session. And so I think that, you know, one reason maybe for this, you know, mobile only bill first is because we don't have casinos in Texas. We don't have a bunch of casinos that are likely saying, hey, we're here and we want to, you know, we want to have brick and mortar sports betting. Same time, we have a lot of team support. We have, you know, Jerry Jones backing the bill. We have the owner of the Houston Rockets backing the bill and, you know, they could have brick and mortar. So maybe it's just the little bit of time that we've had since PASPA has been repealed and along with people kind of just starting to publicly support these types of things and get coalitions together to support these types of things. The part about who's backing this makes a lot of sense, Blake. So I actually reached out to that Texas Sports Betting Alliance like six months ago to say, hey, this is what we do. We'd love to get involved. 
they didn't respond. I don't think our balance sheet is big enough for them to really care about who we are. So you're right. It is the the Jones family and the Vertitas and the big casino players who are involved in this. So that's probably why that bill made it further is because the brick and mortar interest could be significantly more, right, mm-hmm. from a dollar perspective, from a handle perspective. But the reason why the mobile only is so interesting to me and to us, I believe, is a lot of our clients on the DFS space and fantasy space are obviously mobile operators. And as some of those kind of clients tread waters, you know, they trade into mobile sports betting, they're doing on the mobile basis. Right now, really the only people that are getting into brick and mortar are huge established players, right? Mm-hmm. DraftKings and FanDuels are putting up kiosks. I think the Redskins now are the first professional team that has a betting window inside the stadium. Mm-hmm. You mean the Washington Football Club. The Washington Football <laughs> Team. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. WFT. <laughs> That's funny. Thanks, Brad. For us, I always want more competition in the marketplace. I think competition leads to innovation. Like The easier the access points are, the easier it is to get into the business, the better products will be for the consumer, right? For the sports betting public. And if we limit these things to where the fees are so outrageous and there's only five licenses, it's just going to be a couple of companies, the William Hills or the Patty Power Bet Fairs or whatnot. Those are going to be the ones who can get the licenses. But if we have mobile sports betting and the licenses are more accessible or they're less expensive, then I think we'll get better competition, end up with a better product. So the House Bill 2070 is a brick and mortar plus mobile sports betting bill. Then you've got 1121. And 1121 was proposed by uh, Representative Harold Dutton. And then this was, again, mobile only with a $250,000 application fee, which would last three years, $200,000 renewal, and then only 6.25% of the tax would be 6.25% of wagers. So you got to take a close look at that, you know, wagers versus uh, income. But the problem with this bill is that it only allowed for five licenses. Now I say problem because you think about it, if you're in Texas, you want to do sports betting. If you have five competing, let's say apps that you can download to bet on, that actually sounds like a lot, right? So maybe five is the right number. One consideration there too is how many skins under the license, because you know if you've got five licenses, but they can have twenty skins, and which means that they're letting other people operate under their license, then you've still got the competition, but just one main license holder. So let's talk about the skins. The way that operators use that is they might have a skin to target a different segment of the population. Like you could have one brand that is focusing on women, one brand that is focusing on you know a more established betting customer profile, one that's focusing on youth or something like that, or a Hispanic market. That's a good point, Blake, because ostensibly you could have one license holder who might have three different brands, right? And you might be interested in one and I might be interested in a different one. So that's true. So that could give the consumer more choice. Let's talk for a sec about why there is so much red tape around sports betting? Like, why is it so hard, guys? Why is it so expensive and so hard to get a sports betting license? I mean, I think it really relates back to just the entire history of gambling itself, right? And it's something that's not always legal. And therefore, a lot of individuals that engage in this activity or that are currently engaging in this activity, one, they are all breaking the law. There's, you know, you see the stats, what is it, like $5 billion a year or something is being wagered from Texas. That's all illegal. So there's a lot of illegal activity going on. Whether we believe it should or shouldn't be, it is. And therefore, when you're doing things that are illegal, obviously, there's a, an idea that, that has other illegal activities that might be surrounding it. So the idea around 
gambling is so highly regulated, I think, is because, one, there's these externalities that could possibly be related to it in terms of the type of people that are engaging in this activity. And then, two, just there's a lot of risk factors here. You know, gambling is an addiction. And so individuals can become horribly addicted to this and, like, lose their entire fortunes and, you know, home life. And, you know, it could be really deleterious effects to those individuals. So there's a lot of different aspects to it that you want to kind of make sure is being done correctly so that it's not a negative on society that you have these like tax benefits and you're taking care of your society and all the rest, but you're addressing these possible negative elements as well. Yeah. I mean, that's ostensibly higher price keeps out bad actors. You know, as a business that represents a lot of small businesses, I want to keep the bars to entry reasonable. I don't think there's been a lot of issues in other states. It seems like other states are progressing well. They're getting good entrance into the marketplace. They're getting good companies to offer to apply for these licenses and stuff. So that part seems to be working. You know, the reality of the status of these things is that technically they're still up in the air. But given that the Texas legislation is now on break, we don't expect any of these things to be pushed through this year. And given that the Texas legislature doesn't meet again to 2023, right, we're looking at least another two years because generally these things are proposed early in the legislative session and then they don't get put into law until September or later of that year. And if we're talking about a constitutional amendment here, realistically, the earliest that we're going to have sports betting in Texas is going to be late 2023 or early 2024. You guys agree with that? Yeah. Definitely. So, and then... Like Rad had mentioned earlier, it kind of depends on who our lieutenant governor is. Because if Patrick gets reelected, then he has some power, you know, in the process, the, the bill approval or the proposal and approval process, he has some power to just stall these things out so that we might not even get to where the House and the Senate can vote on this. So if he gets reelected, I think sports betting being pushed through in 2023 is probably a, is a tenuous proposition. I agree. And so, you know, not every state is run exactly the same way, right? But the lieutenant governor in Texas is actually a member of the Senate. You know, they are the lieutenant governor, but they are essentially the majority leader of the Senate. And so they control, you know, what bills come up and when and how. And so, yes, this bill could pass the House, but as long as he's in power, if he takes this staunch position, then it's going to be very hard. And even if there were a way to, we're talking two-thirds majority, right? There's, what is there? There's 30 members, the Texas Senate or something That's like correct. that. Yeah. I think I might be off by one or two. But right now, you would need to not only get past Patrick, but like obviously he has a lot of pull. If you want to get things done in the Senate and there's other things you care about, you might end up siding with him on this issue to not you know, get on his bad side. So I think it's a big uphill battle if he's reelected that this would even be a possibility in 2023, unless he changes his mind, right? It's a possibility, but it doesn't seem likely. Given how prominent sports betting is across the United States, do you guys think that this could be a platform issue for a candidate? Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, so right now, sports betting is legal in 20 states, right? And we and Texas is going to take a year off from another legislative session. So by the time we get to 2023, we're going to be in the minority as far as across the United States for, for sports betting. And if we push to 2025, it's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are very frustrated that you can go into just about any other state and sports bet. And you think about all the revenues, right? All the revenues that are being lost, all those potential state dollars, the money that's being lost going to New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Louisiana mm-hmm. for sports betting. Now, now, of those currently, none of those 
companies have sports betting in place, so that might not be as big a deal. But here's the thing about sports betting that, frankly, amazes us not talked about more often, is how people are just willfully ignoring the laws and placing bets all over the place. I mean, it just seems to be something that no one cares about. I'm amazed at how frequently I see ads for sports betting or, or I hear people talking about on the radio or writing about in the newspaper or, or talking about on TV that they're betting in Texas and no one seems to care. So we're just watching all these revenues go out the door while you know Texas remains behind everyone. And just for those of you who are listening who might have read somewhere on a website that sports betting is legal if it's being offered by an offshore book because they're not subject to the jurisdictions of the United States, that's just simply not true. It's not true. But nobody's cracking down on the, it either. No, nowhere. I have not seen it anywhere. And this is very different from the poker run and the sports betting run in the mid-2000s when banks ceased all payments, right? So I had an account, you know, when I was in law school, I had an account with a couple thousand dollars in it. We were using it to make, to do sports betting. And at some point in time, it started becoming harder and harder to get the money out. And then we were using PayPal and these other digital, NetTeller was one of these other digital currency systems. And eventually all those shut down because it was UEJA that came in and said, you know, the banks, you cannot process these payments anymore. And people lost a ton of money. And I got to think whether it's Venmo or, you know, people just put on their credit cards, this stuff is happening everywhere. You think about the payment processors, the credit card processors. You know, I don't know how people are funding these accounts, but this is all a long way of saying no one seems to care. Well, I mean, we, you know, we see this all the time with even, you know, legal daily fantasy or fantasy sports clients trying to open payment processing and them having to jump through so many hoops. And then if you look on one of these offshore sites, you've got like Chase Pay, you've right. got Visa, you've got I mean, MasterCard. You can go to PointsBet right now and put in a couple hundred bucks and be placing wagers shortly. So it's a really interesting state of affairs in that we've got this lieutenant governor and some people in our, in our legislature who seemed hell-bent on preventing this when it's going on everywhere. And I can't help but wonder how many people are sitting there in Austin in these meetings, in these, how many of our legislators are sitting there sports betting during these legislative <laughs> sessions as they're trying to make it legal in Texas. And I don't have any evidence of this, but I got to believe that it's happening. You, you can't tell me that across the population of our legislators that none of them are sports betting. I don't know. Am I, am I, on a, am I alone on a raft here, guys? What do you guys think? <laughs> I see it. <laughs> No, I think that there's plenty of folks and legislators that are probably gambling as well. And I mean, Texas is a unique situation for a number of reasons, right? We're more privy to those who aren't in Texas, probably aren't aware of the poker rooms that are popping up that are blatantly illegal. There's just no political will to stop it, right? And so it seems like it would be hard pressed for uh, a DA or someone to come down hard. And remember, the AG's office in Texas has no criminal authorities. So they can't statewide go out and indict. So you, you have to have local DAs go out and be the ones that would be enforcing the criminal laws of Texas. And if they're not willing to do it for poker rooms that are popping up left and right, that are very clearly violating the laws, like it seems like a, even more of a stretch to do it with something like sports betting that is legal in so many other states. Like poker rooms are just not legal in any state, really, right? Outside of Vegas and Jersey No, California. Okay, a few, but like, yeah, and it's got to be at a casino most of the time, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I think there's another element there of like, it'd be difficult for to all of a sudden take a hard stance on this when they're letting something right in front of them just kind of skate on by. Yeah, so what I think is going to happen in the next couple of years is people continue to do it. 
people get more and more comfortable with it. You know, you've got advertisers who are supporting Texas-based businesses with ad dollars to advertise for their sports betting websites and whatnot. And you know, eventually it'll be passed. By the time it passes, all we're going to do is just shift where people are sports betting from pointsbet.com to texasbet.com, right? That's all. That's really all that's going to happen. But it'll be good for the state because there'll be more uh, tax revenues. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up what we wanted to talk about. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll be back in a week or two to talk about DFS in Texas. There's been a little bit of movement there. We want to make sure that we're discussing that. And then we'll have some more topics to discuss in the coming weeks. So thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our other podcasts on Apple. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at 